Welcome to The Nature Photographer on Wild and Exposed, your source for the behind-the-scenes secrets of today's top photographers working in wildlife, conservation, and fine arts. The Nature Photographer is produced in collaboration with NANPA, the North American Nature Photography Association. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to another episode of the Nature Photographer podcast brought to you by NAMPA and the guys at Wild and Exposed podcast. Tonight we have myself, Dawn Wilson, and Jason Loftus and Ron Hayes joining us along with Colleen Minnick. And I'm pretty excited to talk to her. She's always super happy and cheerful. And and I'm, <laughs> I think we'll have a fun conversation tonight learning about all things water is a big topic for us. So welcome, Colleen. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Don, Ron, and Jason. I really appreciate being here. I appreciate what you do. Looking forward to this. Yeah, thank you for Excellent. making it happen. Short notice, so I'm excited. Yeah, as we have busy summer schedules, we kind of pulled this all together. Colleen and I saw each other about a month ago, and I was like, wait a minute, I've got a great idea for you. Let's bring you on. <laughs> yeah, we just slid it right in between trips, so I'm so glad it worked out. Thanks so much for supporting it so quickly, so... Yeah. So what are you, where are you traveling to these days? Well, I just got back from a road trip. I went through Flagstaff for a wilderness first responder recertification. And then I went to Casper, Wyoming, where I saw you, the OWA conference. And then I jetted over to the South Dakota and Badlands National Park. And then I went through Colorado down to New Mexico for a geography workshop in the footsteps of Georgia O'Keeffe and then and then home and now I'm I'm headed out to the Colorado Utah border um so and home is Arizona correct yep home is Phoenix Arizona and it is currently 111 here right now so it is a very good time (laughs) uh although the gas prices are not encouraging uh it is a very great time to be (laughs) not in Phoenix I would imagine. Wow. Yeah, I was just thinking. I know Denver's been getting close to to 100 degrees. So if if we up here are hitting that, then mm. you are definitely experiencing some slightly warmer, just as dry, just as sunny type of weather down that way. So you had mentioned that geography. Why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so Sheography is my all-women's photography workshops, and I started them a number of years ago. 2016 is when I officially, officially started the Sheography brand, but I had doing, I had been doing um, women's-only workshops and classes um, for a number of years, and it just, it evolved out of becoming an outdoor woman class that I used to teach with the Arizona Wildlife Federation, and I just noticed that women were learning differently when they were together and I am I I love learning I love teaching and so that was that was kind of like a big kind of aha moment and so I started doing longer you know multi-day workshops with um, Arizona Highways photography workshops and then decided in 16 that I, I had some additional ideas as some additional vision um, where I wanted to take that and so that's when the geography brand was born and so now I do co-ed workshops but I also I do about five to seven a year of all women's and um, yeah like I said we just got back from in the footsteps of George O'Keefe where we were together on the ghost ranch and we got to see where George O'Keefe painted and like just it was so inspirational and so creative it was just it's they're always a blast Um, every single one of them is different but they're always always so much fun so it's just an opportunity to get women 
out and about, you know, some women don't want to travel by themselves. And so it's a great opportunity for them to be a part of a group with other women who want to do kind of the same thing and, and laugh and exchange ideas and thoughts and challenge our habits. And it's just a, it's a really supportive environment to just kind of be yourself. So. Yeah, you and I have that that similarity in our in our past and our history of we've both done quite a bit of travel by ourselves. And as a matter of fact, just mm-hmm. earlier today, I was telling people about all my little tricks about when I'm out camping by myself of the you know the multiple chairs, and they were telling me they were putting the up, shoes, um, the <laughs> shoes, multiple pairs of shoes, and they were saying um, I saw a couple friends of mine earlier today, and they were talking about how they actually set up um, a target target sheets that look like they've been, and I was like, all right, well that's kind of <laughs> That's, I guess, one way to send a message about don't That's aggressive, me. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I'm sure it works. <laughs> Gets people's so, attention. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and I mean, sure. part of part of trying to get women out is, is I started off when I was younger. I was sort of outdoorsy then, but I got very much away from it, almost to the point where I was afraid of the outdoors. And, and being able to, you know, get out of corporate America um, and really be in this outdoor space and enjoy the outdoor space, that's not something that I was initially comfortable with. And so I... I would like to believe that I understand some of the challenges and that transition. It's like, okay, well, I want to be an outdoorsy kind of girl, but what do I do? And so um, I have some experience in, in like trying to navigate that and, and those experiences. And some of them are really scary and some of them are super fun. And it's just really exciting to be able to share that and help other women, you know, travel, whether on their own or with other people, just to be out and be comfortable with it and be okay with it. Yeah, it's just it's a, just a matter of kind of being aware of your surroundings. You know, don't put mm-hmm. yourself in a, in a sketchy situation and be aware of your surroundings and, and just enjoy it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, excellent. So so we mentioned a little bit earlier that we're going to do talk quite a bit about water. Um, I know water in particular this time of year here in Colorado, in Wyoming, um, and, and I would assume probably maybe not quite so much this, maybe a little bit earlier down in Arizona, but you know, snow, snow melt is a big, big, big issue this time of year. Just yesterday, I saw an elk calf fall into a, a river and I was so thankful it hadn't happened two days earlier because the temperatures were a lot higher two days earlier. It was much cooler yesterday. So the water wasn't flowing as fast and the calf was fine. But the, 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 the snow melt has obviously created a lot of a lot of um, turbulence up in Yellowstone, and most people are going to be pretty familiar with what's happening up there with the Gardner River overflowing its banks and Soda Butte Creek overflowing its banks. And pretty much, I think it was most of the rivers up in that area, you know, it was just kind of a perfect storm of a lot of rain, a lot of saturated ground, rivers that were already swollen because of the high temperatures that, that created a lot of snow melt. Um, snow melt runoff. So it's, you know, our hearts go out to everybody that's really dealing with it. I think all of us, all four of us, I know just absolutely love Yellowstone and will dearly miss being able to get up there, at least in the, in the short term. I saw, I saw a clip of, or an image actually of Seven Mile Bridge just on the Madison and that flat um, just beyond Seven Mile Bridge looks like a lake. I mean, the whole thing is, is full of water and it's up to the road. So it's definitely something that, you know, we will probably never see again in our lifetime. It was just the perfect storm, the start of runoff and then the big rain and the rains melted the snow fast, way too fast. And then temperatures 
also contributed and that that runoff came all at once almost so i i feel for the people that have lost their homes and there's still a lot of people that are kind of stranded they're hauling food in so heart goes out to all of them as well and you know there's lots of ways for people to help and when this air this will air a little bit later there'll still be ways for people to help so just keep your eyes and ears open yeah, I was amazed at how how quickly Yellowstone, the management of Yellowstone came together to get all of the people out, you know, everybody in the backcountry. And at least the last I heard, nobody was seriously injured. Nobody died in it. And it's just amazing how they all kind of all came together and really um, you just just made sure that it went as smoothly as possible, all things considered. So that's probably not the kind of water that you would uh, traverse, Colleen. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, rivers, water is wild and free. I mean, water can do amazing things, as you can see, terrifically awesome in the purest sense of the word. Um, You know, it can be calm, but it can be fierce and it can be crazy. And we have to respect Mother Nature Mm. in all of these situations. You know, we a lot of us as photographers, we go out because nature is peaceful. But, you know, when it comes down to it, like... There are times, as we're seeing in Yellowstone, where it is—it's a—it's a rager. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's fierce and it's—it's it's crazy. So yeah, we have to be respectful and and mindful of of our surroundings for sure. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I would stand up paddleboard or raft in the the <laughs> CFS, the cubic feet per second that the river is currently flowing. But uh, if, it, if it got a little lower, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So why don't you tell us a little bit about about your interest in water and how kind of that evolved? Because I think there's a, an interesting backstory behind that, that there was a time that you wouldn't have stepped foot in some of these things that you now spend quite a bit of time in. That's right. Yeah. So despite growing up on a little, little creek in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, for half of my childhood, where I splashed and I looked for frogs and I counted the tadpoles, um, I actually ended up growing up with a terrible fear of water, being in water where I couldn't see my feet and um, things like mucky lakes or even the ocean where I just couldn't see the bottom, um, I would I would panic and hyperventilate. And so um, me and water, I mean, pools were fine. I was a swimmer, you know, growing up. Um, those were fine. Baths were fine. Like it was just these places of unknown and uncertainty that absolutely terrified me. So it is something somewhat funny. It may be a little bit ludicrous that now I'm a photographer focusing a lot on water and water management issues and things of that sort. So it is kind of a, it's funny how life kind of twists and turns through through all these different experiences to bring you to places that you didn't expect. So um, yeah, so for 40 years, I was terrified of water. Um, in 2015, my life took kind of a left-hand turn. And on my 40th birthday, I was supposed to be somewhere exotic and that didn't quite happen. And so I found myself in Moab, Utah. I was teaching for the Moab Photo Symposium, right? um, It was to start the night of my birthday. And I had a little bit of free time and was like, you know, I should really do something for myself. Like, you know, I'm kind of here by myself. I'm going to be here with my friends in the symposium, but like, I got some free time, which I do. And I decided that I was going to stand up paddleboard on the Colorado River. 
I had stand up paddleboarded before a number of times, but always on like flat water, like like no rapids, just lakes and things like that, very benign. And in my early experiences with it, I thought it was the best thing in the whole world because I could stand on top of all the monsters that lived in the mucky waters below. <laughs> like I didn't have to swim. I could be on top of it. And so it felt like a really safe, safe kind of activity for me. And so in 2015, in April, when I was on my birthday and I did the stand-up paddleboard, uh, I got to the beach and my guide was just kind of going through some stuff. And she was like, okay, when you get to the rapids, you're going to go at a 45 degree problem. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what, what, did, what did you say? You, you, can, you can stand up paddleboard through rapids? That's a thing? Like, and we're going to do that? Like now? And I was, so I was kind of like, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? And so, you know, she taught me how to do it. It's, it was real easy class two rapids. It wasn't any class one, class two rapids. It wasn't anything too crazy. But um, so, you know, I'm following her kind of like mama duck, right? Like, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do this. Or, or, you know. And so on the last rapid, Big Bend Rapid, she goes, okay, you go first. And I'm like, no, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she's like, no, really, you can do this. And so I you know, I tried, I got into the tongue, you know, the smooth little, you know, section of water that goes into the rapid before the waves start picking up. And I, it was only two rapids, two waves before, you know, the water grabbed my ankle and pulled me right into the water. And it was wild because for the first time, I just was like, get on the board, like, just get back on the board. It's like, you're not going to die. No one's coming to save you. Like, you're just going to have to get back on the board. It was all very matter of fact. It was just strangest thing. Cause after hyperventilating for 40 years, it was like, just get back on the board. And so I did. And it was like, what just happened? I don't know what just happened, but this was like, this was the best birthday gift ever. Like now I don't, I'm not afraid of water. Is that a thing now? And so I, I say that he fell in the river in 2015 and it's been a love. I've fallen in love with the Colorado river ever since. So that's kind of the start of my love affair with the Colorado river specifically. And I had started to get the idea that I, I really wanted to focus more on water, which is a really strange thing to focus on if you're in the desert in Arizona and Phoenix, Arizona, where there isn't a lot of water. Um, through my three artisan residencies in Acadia National Park, that's I spent a lot of time on the coastline and just decided after those three residencies up through 2013 that I was really just going to focus more on water. I didn't really know what that looked like until I fell in the Colorado River in 2015. So it's been kind of an interesting experience and I've just had to kind of keep going through the fear. Um, and I paddle, I do paddle rapids now. I've paddled class four rapids. Um, I paddle across lakes and whatnot. So um, it's something I very much enjoy doing now, but I did have to plow through the fear because that's, that's how we grow. That's, that's, that's how we change our lives. Right. I mean, that 2015 changed my life entirely. For the So I, I have to say that initially I was thinking, focusing on water, living in the desert, was the, the toughest part of that to get over. But then hearing your story, I can, <laughs> I can see where that made a bit of a difference for you. Well, yeah, I spent a lot of time. Well, so I started photography in 2001. I picked up a camera for the first time in 2001. And, and obviously I was surrounded by so much desert mm -hmm. beauty. The Sonoran Desert is so fabulous. And of course, there's so many places in Arizona that were, are, were magical to photograph. Um, but what I found uh, over kind of 
over time was that I, I wasn't really emotionally connecting with the desert very well. And that's actually what triggered me to take to apply for an artist in residency in Acadia, somewhere totally different, somewhere that had water that could offer just a little bit different scenery. And so that's that's how that all started. And when I came back out of those residencies, I pretty much came to terms that I wasn't really in love with cactus. I mean, I love the photographing the wildflowers and I love the scenery. I love the sunsets. I love all of that. But where my heart is, is with water. And I feel like as photographers, we can we can photograph what we like or we can photograph what we love. And that's going to be reflected in the work and in the quality of the work that we deliver in the emotions that we can communicate through our, through our frames. And so I, I think life's too short to, to focus on what you like, you know, focus on what you love. And I left my job to be a photographer. So I certainly am not going to spend time doing anything I don't like. So um, for me, I, I really did shift a lot of my focus on finding water in the desert. And for me, sometimes that means that I'm driving four, four and a half hours to get to the Colorado River to photograph or to paddle or, or whatnot. But I've also been able to connect more locally with places like Saguaro Lake and Canyon Lake. Salt River is actually where I get my water from, my drinking water. And so I've tried to become more connected with the Salt River uh, as well, which is, you know, 30, 40 minutes from my house. And the Salt River in Arizona is where the wild horses are. Is that correct? They sure are. I've paddled like literally right next to a hoof with the mm -hmm. wild horses on the Salt River a number a couple of years ago. It was one of those where you saw the horse. I couldn't the current's going and I'm trying to paddle away. And it's like I was like within inches of his leg. And it was just like, sorry. Hi, <laughs> hi. excuse me. Don't, pardon me. Don't mind me. <laughs> like, don't, don't mind me. Yeah. Like, please don't kick me. But, yeah, that was that was exciting. That was that was very exciting. <laughs> I think it's kind of unusual for somebody to take their fear though, and turn it into the, their passion. You know what I mean? I mean, you're saying, and I totally agree with you, go spend time photographing the things you love. Don't just photograph things you like, find what you love and then go chase that. But for you to take your deepest, darkest fear and have that turn into <laughs> that love is not a usual story. You know, that's pretty, well, there's a lot more to the story. I'm writing a book about it. It's currently called Going with the Flow. There's a lot more to it. But I think the moral of the story is if we can look at our fears in terms of curiosity, being curious, trying to understand what we're afraid of really, what are we really, really, truly deep down afraid of, and really what's going to happen. I mean, the likelihood of me getting eaten by a monster in the Colorado River is very low. Um so not zero percent <laughs> not zero yeah i mean there's you know, there's there's skin fin in lake powell they say which is like a loch ness monster uh in lake powell they say so you never know and i but i don't want to be the first one right i don't want to be the headline <laughs> have you gotten any blurry um, have you gotten any blurry pictures of it though <laughs> i could photoshop one that looks just like go. it <laughs> No, no. I mean, I think, but, but that's what I've tried to do with water is I've tried to understand it better. And I'm, it's not to say that my fear is entirely gone yet. I mean, if you were to put me on a boat in the middle of the ocean and threw me in the ocean, I'd probably, I'd probably hyperventilate. But, um, you know, having a healthy respect for water, water is 
powerful. Like we've, we've been talking about mm -hmm. the Yellowstone thing. I mean, I've been in Cataract Canyon with the Colorado river and those are waves that are bigger than a house, right. Or the grand Canyon where they're, they're gigantic and you don't want to mess around. You need to have, you know, specific skills. You need to have certain experience level. You need to have background. And so for me, it's been actually a really um, enlightening learning journey. I would call it. Um, I have learned things that I would have never imagined about hydrology, about ecosystems, about the connectedness of watersheds and things like that. Um, for me, it's just been a, a kind of a journey of discovery. And I think that all comes from being curious about the fear as opposed to being afraid of it. If mm -hmm. that makes any sense. It does. And like you said, I mean, the, the connectedness of water is unbelievable. I love telling people when I take them into Rocky Mountain National Park, you know, we go up to 11,000 feet and you look at the headwaters of the Poudre River and I explain to them how that water, that same exact water they're looking at winds up in the Gulf of Mexico. And it's just like all yeah. of a sudden that they kind of go, wow, I never really thought about that. But so, yes, very much so what you do in one place has an effect on another place. You were talking earlier, Don, about, you know, the snow melt in Colorado. I pay, we pay attention to that here um, because that water comes down through, you know, the Colorado River watershed, that, that management system. And ultimately, you know, Phoenix is, and Tucson are able to grow crops and we're allowed to, you know, have drinking water and things like that. So we, we pay attention to what's going on in your world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's send it this way. Yeah, well, it's little by little. It's kind of <laughs> whatever you got. Into, you know, more and more of it kind of gets re retracted out. It keeps getting pulled out. And yeah. I know the, the Colorado River, you know, the, the out, outflow of it now these days is pretty non-existent, actually, because of how much water we are requiring. But it's it is. It's a, there's a huge story there. You know, when you talk about being a writer and a photographer, the story that's involved there, the visuals that. You know, look at Lake, Lake Powell and how low these some of these reservoirs are these days. Yeah, I, I was just I just did a trip in April uh, with a buddy of mine, Bruce Hucko, who we rented a boat and went to Cathedral in the Desert. Cathedral in the Desert's this beautiful waterfall rock formation that has been underwater for about 50 years. And so, you know, the 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 good news is that. Glen Canyon, for example, is returning to its natural state. The bad news is, is because of that, I don't, I'm, I'm at risk of not having drinking water like in Phoenix, right? So it's this, it's kind of this, this contradiction and this juxtaposition of how do we balance that? How do we balance nature with, you know, some of our human needs and, and being responsible with that? So, yeah, I mean, we're seeing very visible, change in places like Lake Powell and Lake Mead and things like that. Yeah. I think it's all over the West, right? I mean, with the drought situation, you know, I mean, I know last year, I can't remember exactly the circumstance. I think we got a little extra rain in the fall. Um, and the farmers kind of backed off a little bit on some of their water needs because the wetlands here in Salt Lake in the, you know, the great Salt Lake area is a big wetlands area for migratory birds uh, of all kinds. And they diverted some of that water out to there just because of the, impact it would have on the on the wetlands um so i mean it's yeah. you know that we're having to make decisions like that between growing food and people's livelihoods and conservation of you know what what the animals need too and it's it's a really fine line and have been a pretty hard balancing act you know so there are a lot of stories there especially with water in the desert you know we all live in a high Absolutely. desert plain essentially so 
Yeah, I, I mean, I do believe that there is a balance out there. We haven't we haven't found it yet, but there there I do believe I'm optimistic that there is a solution where we can all get along. We can all play nice in the sandbox together, if you will. Like we can all we can achieve, you know, we can save endangered fish. We can, you know, make sure that we have healthy ecosystems. We have clean drinking water. We have recreation. We have irrigation for crops. Like, I feel like we all can get along. It's just we, we've got to find a little different balance given that our, our climate is just, it's, it's changing on us. And the game is changing constantly and it's changing very quickly as we're seeing with the Colorado River for example I mean we're I think they came out and said um, earlier this week that it's like we're like 125 feet or 150 feet away from 40 million people not having water to drink like that's a like in Lake Mead our levels are so low that like things are pretty dire so it's like okay what do we do we all we've got to come together and figure the <laughs> figure out a better way for everybody yeah. um so and it's not yeah, just the colorado river i'm sure i'm sorry go ahead oh it's a, oh, no it's everywhere right we've got to come together to to address these issues that we're facing and and fast <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's it's you know we we knew it was kind of coming you know for decades they've talked about it coming but we really they were kind of doing little things about it but i know i've been i've read over the last year or so more and more articles about how wells in California are drying up and, you know, as the reservoirs get lower and lower and, you know, the farmers, like you said, it's, you know, do the farmers get the water? Do the, you know, the, the residents of the area get their drinking water or do you put it into some of the natural habitat, you know, that, that, that yeah. needs it as well. And it's, it's some tough decisions are definitely going to have to be made, but yeah, it, it definitely stretches beyond the Colorado river. And it's, you know, for those of us that I think, well, you said you grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in New Jersey. But you didn't really think about it. When we grew up, it was... Oh, gosh, no. No, I mean, you had a big ocean. You had lots of lakes. There was an aquifer, you know, below below the surface in South Jersey. You didn't really think about it. And living out West, it's just a different, such a different perspective on, like we talked about, like how it's all interconnected, how, um, you know, mm-hmm. how important water is, how important, you know, heavy snowpack is. And I... 30 years ago, I wouldn't have known what snowpack, what was, what that was referring to or what, uh, you know, all those different types of aspects of conservation and the environment and the interconnectedness between it all. And it's exciting to be a photographer and a writer and, you know, and, and to share that kind of information and really make an impact and, you know, be a part of that change. At least we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hope to make a difference, right? Yeah. It's going to be a lot better when I, you can hear me. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I got to practice you. once. I go back to the conversation that we had with Michael Forsberg and, and his work just on the, the Platte River watershed from beginning to end and working with all the different entities mm-hmm. involved. And you think that all the great rivers in the United States have the same type of cooperative efforts going on. So to your point, Colleen, I I think we're on the right track and there there is a balance there and I think we're working toward finding that. However, there's still there's still a lot of room to grow and and a lot to learn. To be completely honest, so where did you? Th- I want to go back even further. I mean, we talked about your fear and then love of water, but going back, what about your love of photography? Where did that where did that take root? 
Yeah, that was an accident too. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't intentional either. Um, yeah, um, I have. I had no artistic upbringing, um, training. I grew up in. I was Ohio, Arkansas, Illinois. Um, I went to Stanford on a volleyball scholarship, and after my freshman year, I transferred to University of Michigan on a on a volleyball scholarship again. Um, I was in the outdoors for the first eight years of my life, but when we moved to Illinois, it really, my focus really shifted to academics and athletics. It, my just, my whole life was full of that. Um, I didn't spend a whole lot of time outside, dedicated outside, like hiking, for example, or camping, um, unless it was really on vacation and we like went to the beach and hung out at the beach or something like that. So, I had not actually slept in a tent until I was like 22, 23. So even the outdoors was kind of new to me. I picked up a camera in 2001 after I started working at Intel. I was a software engineer for about 10 years at Intel coming out of school. I was a business administration major with computer information systems at the height of the tech boom. So, you know, when I grew up, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, I thought maybe a lawyer, maybe an architect, but really what it came down to is I really just wanted to be rich and happy. And it really didn't matter how I got to rich and happy, just that I was rich and happy. And when, you know, the tech boom happened, I was like, cha-ching, I'm going to, I struck it gold with Intel. I got, I got a job at Intel Corporation, which was, you know, skyrocketing in popularity um, and in profits and whatnot. And so, um, after about five years at Intel, I just got really stressed out. I was having some health problems that in hindsight now are all tied to stress. And my mom handed me a brochure to a local community college and it was for an intro to photography class. And she said, Colleen, I think you need to get a life. <laughs> <laughs> so Go mom. you got to listen to mom, right? Right. Well, be careful what you ask for, mom, right? <laughs> So I started a, a black and white traditional development class just at the local community college on Saturday, and it was the best thing ever. Um, it was th I, the first day I knew something was happening, and it was so profound. The first day was so profound, somewhat embarrassing to admit, but I have the outfit I wore to class still in my closet, and I keep it as a, as a reminder to never forget where I came from. And so um, I started selling my work in 2003, and really at this point, photography was like, just get me out of the mm -hmm. cube. Like, I just need to be anywhere but the cube. And so um, I spent all my free time visualizing, you know, photo shoots and weather and azimuths and learning and all sorts of stuff. And so 2003, kind of as a joke, um, I decided that I was going to sell my work at art shows around Arizona. And that ended up going really well. And then I started selling my work to editorial outlets like Arizona mm -hmm. Highways Magazine. And that went really well. And so by 2007, I had built up enough of a, of a photography business that I essentially had two full-time jobs and I decided to leave Intel. Um, I was out of all four weeks of my vacation. Nobody, nobody believed me that my grandmother died three <laughs> times in January. I had been traveling so much. Um, so I left February 28th, uh, 2007 is my personal independence day. And so from there, um, I had done a number of different types of photography, everything but weddings, funerals, 
and babies, basically. And uh, but now after 2010, actually an OWA conference after OWA conference in 2010, I decided that I was going to do only outdoors. And then my shift towards water and water management issues has really been kicking in since that 2015 um, paddle on the Colorado River in Moab. So that's kind of the evolution of photography um, in short or in long. <laughs> short. Um, but I, I didn't have any artistic background at all. Like I so picked the camera up for the same exact reason. I was jealous of everybody in my family that could either sing, Did draw, you? or paint. And I could do none of those things. So that that was my creative outlet, so to speak. Yeah, I, I played the flute. Mm -hmm. I guess that's kind of artistic. Um, I danced, I did ballet, and I did gymnastics for a while. So I guess that's kind of artistic. But I actually kind of got thrown out of my eighth grade drawing class because I was so bad at drawing a, a head <laughs> the first class. They put me in the baking or the cooking class where I burned the bread. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> photography is very safe. Also similar, and that's how I got us. kicked out of ceramics. Oh, okay. <laughs> You burnt. You burned it. Or? No, I just. <laughs> I had no skill there whatsoever. Yeah, I was gonna say, Colleen, you're talking about how you know it was dangerous and how it was you weren't very good at it. And I'm like, she just got done telling us she took a, a sup down rapids in the Colorado River, but that wasn't dangerous. Hmm. Well, yeah, that probably was. Worked worked into that though, right? <laughs> yeah, or just right. throw yourself into it. <laughs> So you hear you do hear that so often that people go they 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 pick up a camera and they they get into nature photography and whether it's being out in nature or whether it's the creative outlet of photography or a combination of both that they find it very cathartic they find it very therapeutic and it helps them get through a di I know it was you know that's a little bit of my backstory as well and you know I think all of us have some of that in our backstory that we've we've reverted to to going into the outdoors to kind of find a little bit of peace and, and solitude and um yeah it's, it, it's a wonderful way to kind of combine all that together and then have you know then have an impact too and have a, yeah. a really strong message yeah right after um the moab in 2015 right after that that experience uh i decided that i was going to stand up paddleboard across lake powell and it was initially an escape like, and I, I think that's a, what a lot of us, like, especially in like corporate America, or those of us who have full-time jobs and then pick up a camera, it's like, okay, we're going to go to nature to escape our real world, our real lives. And like, we're going to come back. And through that experience and like Powell, I was supposed to be on the lake for 14 days. My mom and I decided um, to do this together and we got in a, a really horrible windstorm um, where I thought my mom was going to die for about an hour. And uh, we ended up getting rescued by police rescue uh, by National Park Service uh, after four days. We just got we just got caught in a really bad situation. It's kind of a really long story, but that's the short of it. But on that trip is really where I started to feel at home there. That was where not only was I connecting with the landscape and the river and the water, but I was in the present moment. And that's not something that I was accustomed to. Um, you know, we get so caught up in future planning and reflecting on the past that I was never living in the moment. And we had an experience on the third day where I, it was almost euphoric to feel like you were part of something bigger than yourself that 
the cliffs didn't have any expectations of who I was as a person or what I did with photography or how I lived my life. And that became a place of refuge again, but it also became, became home. And so my attitude towards nature and my relationship with it, even with photography has changed. Now I call nature the real world. And I call this what we are living in the manufactured world. And so I've, I've shifted kind of my perspective on that um, because of the experiences that I had with the river and in nature. And for me, it, it absolutely feels like home. I think that's probably about the best explanation of how, how I feel and, and why I would rather spend time out there than that I've ever heard never thought of it that way the the real world yep. versus the manufactured world and manufactured issues and manufactured feelings and emotions and it everything plays into it that's a great description well when you put when you put you know just limited amount of gear on a stand up paddleboard or in a kayak for 14 days that's your mm -hmm. whole life for 14 days you you really start to understand what what's important what's important in your life and you know when when all you can carry is you know your food some <laughs> sleeping you know sleeping gear maybe a little you know change of clothes or two some warm gear i mean you're really stripped down to the essential and you're stripped down to the, the basic and I and I think yeah you don't when you're faced I, you know it was kind of a life mm -hmm. or death situation right so it's like yeah it's one of these cliche things where you're like oh what matters but when you're when you spend that amount of time out in the wild when you're disconnected you realize how much of the manufactured world is meaningless minutiae and how much we get so absorbed and stressed out and wound about things that ultimately are not going to matter when we turn to dust. And I don't mean to be morbid. I actually mean that to be freeing, right? So if none of it actually matters, then make it all count. Like, and so that's sort of my life philosophy is, is, I mean, it doesn't matter if I cross like power or not, like nobody cares, but like, does it matter to me? Does it matter to raise awareness for this river that I love? Does it, is it going to make a difference 50 years down the road? I sure hope so. Like who knows, but you know, ultimately like not a whole lot of this matters. <laughs> so were you able to go back and finish and complete that goal of crossing Lake Powell? I did not. Um, I had many, 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 many thoughts of that because I was a lifelong overachiever. And of course, failing in, in my case, it was failing twice in eight months. Um, it was very, very, very traumatic for me. And so I had sort of a whole, a whole life attitude shift after that, um, after my 2015 paddle didn't go the way that I had planned. Everything in my life had gone according to my plan. I had, I had bent it to my will and these, I, just didn't happen. And so I had to change things. I was going to go back to Lake Powell in 2018. And about a week before I left, I changed my mind and I decided to stand up paddleboard across Lake Mead instead. So I did nine days, um, six of which I was by myself. And, um, you know, Lake Mead is, is uh, less paddle miles, but it's a bigger lake than Lake Powell. And so um, to be in that environment and, you know, see the bathtub ring, for example, but see the differences between Lake Powell and Lake Mead and, and the reservoirs and how they kind of 
are are the same but are not and it just for me it was really eye-opening and in fact um, I didn't finish that crossing either and I did it on purpose I didn't finish the last two miles because I really didn't care to see the dam um, <laughs> so um, and an achievement wasn't the point of that particular trip the point was to be out in this remarkably spectacular location you know in a at a time where things were changing so quickly with water levels and whatnot i was actually on the lake when we had a high flow experiment and i watched the light come up two feet right in front of my eyes on uh, towards the end of my trip day seven or day, day eight so i mean i was able to experience that and so for me um you know i have i have plenty of opportunity to achieve and i still overachieve plenty um more than I probably should and I'm very lucky in that regard but it's not about achievement I've really focused more on what's called an autotelic personality um, and I do this with my own photography um, anywhere that I go not just in water but everywhere is it's it's really about the experience and trying to make the experience meaningful and purposeful and enriching and you know being able to learn something about you know, you know yourself your craft the world around you the people you're with and if you make photographs, like, great. If you finish the trip, great. But that's just, like, that's the extra. And so um, water has taught mm -hmm. me a great deal. <laughs> water has taught me a lot. Um, it definitely having an autotelic personality. The river's not trying to get anywhere fast. It just exists. And so. Just does you know, what it does. A lot of nature is flowing. like that. You know, whether it's wildlife or landscapes they just kind of do what it does and you know the trees just kind of bloom at the same time and the flowers bloom at the same time each year they go through their cycles yep everything's changing right so you talk about immersion and, and obviously being on a, a stand-up paddleboard across a very large lake um, is definitely an immersion where you you know but but a, a, almost <laughs> a completely different type of immersion is that you spend i think it's three different artists of residencies in Acadia National Park, which is a completely different type of habitat from an ecosystem from from the Definitely. desert and um, you know large reservoirs. So so tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and how that kind of came about and how you've because that was a little bit earlier in your career, correct? Yeah. So that was let's see. I I first applied for the residency in 2008 and I got it in 2009, um, in November 2009, and then I went back in October of 2010, and then again in January and February of 2013. I loved it so much they couldn't get rid of me. So. <laughs> Um, I, I went to Acadia really to just get a creative jolt. I, like I'd mentioned earlier, I was a little bit, I was growing tired of photographing the same thing over and over in Arizona and the Southwest. And, and it wasn't that, um, I was running out of material. It was that I was not create. I didn't have the creative mindset, you know, before I did the, the artist in residence, I was really a photographer who liked to take pretty pictures and I would chase light and I would wait for rainbows and I'd get really pissed off and frustrated when it didn't happen because, you know, I had spent all this effort. No, we don't do that. Right? We don't get frustrated. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's certainly not why I got into photography was to get frustrated. Right. But that's how I feel like a lot of a lot of my early years were was just like trying to manage frustration and 
and not being able to control the weather the way that I wanted it to. Again, it's like bending it to my will, you know, like I just couldn't bend the weather to do what I wanted when I wanted it to. And so anyway, so that's kind of, I was in kind of a weird place, um, not a really great place with photography when I, when I applied for the artist in residency and it was just literally to just do something different. And so there's not a whole lot different, more different than going to Acadia from Phoenix, from the desert of Phoenix, where there's, there's forests and there's flowers and there's water and there's mm -hmm. creeks and brooks and, you know, the ocean, of course, and granite and shatter zone. And yeah, it was just, it was a really, it was a creative jolt. It was a totally different environment. And the funny thing is, is in my first artist in residence, I, I went there and did exactly what I was doing here in the Southwest, which was, I was photographing all the icons trying to take pretty pictures and I did all right. It was great. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to go back. I'm going to see it in fall color. Uh, and I did in October. And so it was like, yeah, it's beautiful in fall color. It was like, oh, I'm going to go see it in a different season. And so I was like relying upon all these external conditions for my work and for my photography. And in the third artist in residency, I got stuck, like really bad stuck. Like, why am I a photographer? Why am I here? Is this all there is to photography stuck? And that's, that is, that was the value for me of the residencies. I mean, other than the experiences themselves was that I had an artistic transformation where I started learning about how to get new ideas, where creativity comes from, what the creative process actually is. There is a Wallace model of creativity. There's a process to be creative. Ironic. <laughs> Very ironic. Um, but I started learning all of these things. And that's when my, my whole attitude shifted away from pretty, like trying to take pretty pictures and trying to establish a deeper connection with the landscape and express that visually through composition through light but not depending on it and so now like for example i go out it's like all right mother nature what do you got what are you gonna do what what cards have i been dealt and what can i do with this what can i do this right now in this moment how can i make the best of this and so now i don't judge light i don't you know, if I get a rainbow, great. If I don't, great. But I don't judge light. I don't judge the experience. I'm just there and I'm just there to connect and to learn and to be. And if the photograph happens, awesome. If not, awesome. But I'm better mm -hmm. for it because I've learned something, right? So that was really the significance of the residency for me. I mean, there's a lot of other stories about working with the Scudica Education Adventure Program, the kids starting the photojournalism program. There's all sorts of stories about being on boats and all sorts of fun adventures. But for me, that was that was the most profound thing that came out of the residency is is, you know, the ability to to shift my my focus as a photographer, as an artist into making more meaningful, expressive work that mattered to me that that I care about. And so, yeah. Pretty remarkable. <laughs> it sounds like it was just what no, the doctor ordered. Sorry, Jason, go ahead. No, you're good. Um, it's just interesting. You kind of hit on something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I think part of it might be, you know, a normal transition or a normal thing that we have to go through as part of either being an artist or a photographer or whatever. But I found myself really trying to put myself in that same mindset when I'm out photographing, you know, just kind of be there, take what comes for what it is, um, be, be happy to get what I get and uh, not be trying so hard, if that makes sense. You know, um, Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us, I mean, raise your hand if you got into this because you liked standing behind a camera and pressing the yeah. shutter button. 
Like, that's not why we're there. Yeah. We're there because we love the birds. We love the trees. We love the water. We love how the air smells. We love the sand between our toes. Like, that's why mm-hmm. we're photographers, yeah. right? I mean, so why not emphasize that part of the experience? Yeah, that's great. I like that. I always like how people tell me, and I've heard it at least a couple of times in just the last week or two weeks of, you have the best job in the world. It's You get to stand outside all the time. It's I wish I could stand outside more, more frequently. Mm. There's, there, there is, there are a lot of other components to, to doing this for a living, but man, I feel pretty, pretty lucky to be able to, to do this, you know, whether it's something I can continue for a long period of time, or um, I am watching age kind of catch up with, you know, with, with certain things that I'm trying to, my darndest to fight and, you know, not allow it to, to either get me down or to, to slow me down. But um, yeah, it is, I do feel pretty lucky to, to experience the things I have. I know I've had this conversation with Ron and Jason too, about you know things that we see and, you know, things that you get to experience mm-hmm. and the things we witness. And it's, you know, I, I love the perspective that you have that, you know, you're, you're allowing it to kind of present itself to you um, rather than, than, than chasing things. Yeah. And I remember people talking about that when I was, you know, earlier in my career, they're like, let the land speak to you. And I was like, that just sounds like a bunch (laughs) of hokey crap. Like what you want me to do? What you want me to sit here and do what I got a rainbow. I got to catch like, (laughs) Um, but now I understand it. And a lot of, a lot of it is, is mental processing. A lot of it is analytical. A lot of it is just evaluating and just understanding what you're responding to and why in that moment, you know, what's, what's being triggered and why Um, I love to play little games with myself. So, I play what else is it, which is metaphorical associations. Um, it's it's the same thing that you guys remember. I'm sure you did this um, when you like were out and you looked up in the clouds when you were a kid and you were like, oh, my gosh, it's look. an alligator. <laughs> it's, it's an a angel. dragon. It's an alligator. It's dumb, bro. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's called pareidolia. That is making order out of chaos based on the information that you already have in your brain. And so you have raw material to use to connect with the landscape. Um, so I would encourage us to do that all the time as photographers. So look at trees that way. Look at water that way. Look at your landscapes that way. Look at everything like that, um, because that's where you're going to get that cre- that meaning out of of the landscape and and having the landscape sort of talk to you like it's a conversation right like and so um that's that for me has made photography way more fun than being like oh my god i didn't get a rainbow and oh my gosh do i have the right foreground i gotta go find a (laughs) stick or did i check the box for rule of thirds (laughs) you know road box (laughs) right it's way more fun it's a way more fun way to go through life you know To be to be like doing all this metaphorical association, dreaming while you're awake, literally. When so, I was a kid, this is going to be a confession, and probably something I should have told a counselor a long time ago. But <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us. When I was a kid, I couldn't tell, go to sleep until I had popcorn ceilings in my bedroom, and I couldn't go to sleep until I found Abraham Lincoln in the popcorn ceiling because there was this one little cluster that just looked exactly like Abraham Lincoln, and so I would just sit there and look around and. And when I find him, then I could shut my head off and, and go to sleep. But yeah, I don't. I love that. See? Yeah, it that's, was. That's it was pareidolia. Right insomnia there. as well. That's it. That's it. 
<laughs> I'm going to try that the next don't, time I can't get to sleep. Start I'm going to look for Abraham Lincoln on my ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a note when I find him. <laughs> now you've got me looking up. I know. Like, Do I even have popcorn ceilings? They shouldn't have said it. Now yeah, everybody's like, doing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, and here's the fun, but here's the fun thing. And, and I'll bring it back to photography is that every one of us will look at the ceiling, your ceiling, in fact, exactly. Ron, and yeah. we would all see something different. And that's, that for me is, is, is where, like, that's where creative photography shines. Like, that's what we want. We don't want everybody to see Abraham Lincoln in the ceiling. We want people to see Dumbo and angels and all sorts yeah. of crazy things because that's your background. Um, you know, if you don't have a whole lot of history, historical background, you may not even associate with Abraham Lincoln and that's okay. And that's what, that's what I try to teach in my workshops. That's what I try and encourage with everything is let's, let's be weird. Like, let's find what we understand about the world and share that. Because if I don't, if you don't, I'm never going to see that. Mm -hmm. Like, cause I don't see the world the way you guys do, obviously. And I want to see that. I want to see how you see it, how you interpret the world. Cause that makes my life better, right? That expands my world. It's very selfish, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but, but I, that's what I encourage is for us to see whatever we see in the popcorn, in the ceiling. That'll be the best. Well, how many times yeah, have we stood in a, a row of people, you know, 10, 12, 20 people, and we all wind up with different photos. That's what I was just going to say. We all see it differently. We see the right. light differently. We see it, you know, a, a detail differently. We, you know, might have different equipment that we know how to use differently or apply it differently. Right. And we should celebrate all of that. They can mm -hmm. all be right <clears throat> answers. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's 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 a great pro tip right there. I've, I've learned I've learned a couple of new things, right? Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. been a couple tonight. I've written I've written a couple down. Yep. Oh boy, well that's what this is about, right? Is exchanging ideas and getting new ideas and being being better people and supporting each other on this journey. I mean, we're all in yeah, the same absolutely. boat, right? We may not be paddling the same pace, and we may not be, you know, but we're all. We're all kind of trying to do yeah. the same thing. So. so that actually gives me a really good segue. And I'm going to give me a second to kind of get the segue there. Um, I had years yeah. ago, one of the very first presentations I ever sat, photography presentations I sat in on, the, the guy that was presenting talked about Ansel Adams has been done. Ansel Adams is Ansel Adams. Don't be Ansel Adams. Be your own creative <laughs> photographer. You know, learn from them. Learn from previous photographers but apply what you learn to make it your yep. own work but that kind of leads me into something else that we haven't talked about yet is that you've actually worked with um the Ansel Adams family lineage I, I shall say um so why don't you tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that yeah I mean obviously Ansel Adams was a very dominant figure very early on in my photography career in fact I think he was the he was the first photographer like pro photographer that I was, I was introduced to the, the other one was Galen Rowell. So pretty, pretty amazing introductions. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was invited to talk at a conference, uh, out of Yosemite conference sponsored by the out of Chicago folks. And 
I, when I was invited, I was like, um, yeah, I don't know that I fit. I'd never photographed Yosemite. I'd only been there once. It was for my friend's wedding. I didn't really know the place. And I, I really do value like having these deep connections. Um, you know, like I won't run a workshop unless I've been to a place and I know the place. Like I just, I need to have that background. And so I declined, I declined the conference. It was a speaking gig. And I was like, nah, I don't think I'm a good fit. I came back and said, no, we really want you to do it. And I'm like, guys, you guys, there's so many great photographers that you could, you could hire like, no. And then they came back and I was like, all right, I'm not doing anything that week of February. Fine, fine, <laughs> fine. I'll go like, and so, uh, I went and I, you know, Yosemite is kind of, you know, Ansel Adams place, right. It's his, it's his gig. And so, um, Ansel's family, uh, his son, Michael, and his wife, Jean Falk Adams, were there at the conference. And they were they were contributing, they were speaking and, you know, interacting with the participants and whatnot. And anyway, so I had the chance to meet Jean Adams um, the night before we got started. And the next morning, I was scheduled to do a three-hour presentation on visualization. And they held back, um, I think, one or two, two of us from the field everybody else was going out into the field they were all going out for sunrise and doing their thing like that's why everybody showed up right it was to be in yosemite and experience in this but they wanted to hold a couple of people like two presenters back so that if people didn't want to get up at three o'clock in the morning they could they had something to do and so i was i was in a classroom for those three hours that morning and um five people showed up two of which were part of the out of Chicago crew and Gene Adams was in the front row. And uh, I don't know if you can imagine how it would feel to be talking about visualization in front of the Adams family, <laughs> <laughs> but I started getting a little nervous. Um, she had a book. So I started, you know, striking up just like kind of, you know, small talk cause I was nervous and I was waiting for like the crowds to show up, which never did. And so I was, she had a book and it was Heather Hansman's down river. And I was like, do you, are, how are you enjoying the book? And she goes, well, I, I really enjoying this book. Do you? And I was like, well, I don't know Heather, but we run in the same circles. I, we were on a trip called the Yampa River Awareness Project trip on different years, but we're in that community of river lovers. And she's a beautiful writer. She's fantastic. And it's a great book. I'd read it before. And so Jean goes, well, are you in water, water management issues? And I go, yeah, I'm in love with the Colorado river. Like I do a lot of work with the watershed. And at this point, you know, I had done like, I had crossed like Pete like Mead. I had done work on, you know, like Powell and, you know, all of these different rivers, um, the green, the Yampa and all of these things. So I was, I was building a portfolio up kind of unknowingly towards this. I did my three hour presentation and she brought the book because she thought she was going to be bored. <laughs> She thought she was going to read in my presentation and she didn't. She, you know, she was very engaged taking notes. And after the presentation, there was no conversation. She looked at me and she goes, you're the one I've been looking for. You're going to be in my exhibit. And I was like, I'm, I, I'm sorry, what? Like, what, what? I'm sorry. What are we talking about here? And I'm like, okay, yeah, like whatever. And she was like, well, do you do any black and white? I'm like, well, I do if it means I can be in your exhibit. Like, I, what is this? Like, You're in so... library rooms, black and white, black and white. But... <laughs> right, like my whole portfolio, boom, right? Like batch, yeah. go. And so, uh, <laughs> right? And so 
um, we just started talking about it. She had done this exhibit with Ansel Adams and Ernie Brooks and others involved in the ocean, and it was black and white photography, and it was an exhibition, a very large exhibition called Fragile Waters, and she wanted to revitalize it. It ended up, we were conversing afterwards. It turns out that she, I, like, she's like, you just, you, you work in color. That's you. Like, I'm not going to make you, like, you just don't fit with black and white. So here's what we're going to do. And of course, I was like, oh, no, I need to be in this exhibition. And she goes, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have your own solo show. Because <laughs> that's the logical. It just gets better and that's better. That's the logical explanation of what you do, right? And so um, what ended up happening is I was, my my exhibition was called The Current Flows, Water in the Arid West. And it was in, in the foyer, not the foyer, the foyer. Um, <laughs> It's that kind of party. Yeah. 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 And so, (laughs) but it opened to the bigger exhibit of Vital Waters. So it was kind of the local introduction. The the exhibit was in Pueblo, Colorado. And so they wanted a local flair. They wanted the Colorado River. And so it fit so nicely. Um, I have uh, an iPhone snap of Michael Adams looking at my photographs. And I just, it was one of these moments where I'm like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And so, you know, we started talking about the San Juan River and all of this other stuff. And in any case, um, I've been, I've was invited and have been to the Carmel house, Ansel's house that Michael and Jean now live in um, twice, most recently um, this past spring, where my photographs from the exhibit were being stored in Ansel's darkroom. <laughs> so head explosion. Know. Yeah. <laughs> So um, it's been, I mean, like, if you know Alan Ross's photograph of, you know, Ansel in Virginia standing in front of the, the big drum, like the drum is there, you know, there's a gigantic Moonrise Hernandez on the wall. I mean, it's like, yeah, it just, it was like being in a museum. And they, they're remarkable human beings. They're very kind um, and giving and generous. And I, you know, working with Jean was just an absolute dream. We both have, you know, very go-getter personalities. And so, you know, We've, we've camped together. We've, you know, hung out. We've had some crazy ideas. She's taught me how to paint. Like, yeah, it's just like we get in a lot of trouble together. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, that's, yeah. So the moral of that story is don't, don't be afraid to say yes to opportunities like that. Holy right. Cow. So say yes, right? Without knowing. I mean, I didn't yep. know at the time that Ansel's family was going to be there like I didn't know that I mean what a dream right um, but I think the other right. I think the other moral of the story and it was one ironically that had been drilled into my head growing up from my mother um, and I, I'll give that short story here in a second is no matter how many people show up you always always give your best mm-hmm. and I could have just been like you know there's five people here two of you you know there's only three really here we should just cancel this you know, I mean, I could have easily said that. Right. right? I mean, that would have been an OK thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I gave the show as if there were a thousand people in the audience and you just do it and you never know what's going to happen. My mom had instilled in me and I, I can't I haven't been able to um, validate it, you know, with the Internet and all of that other stuff. Um, but the point is still, I think, very valid, which was um, growing up. My mom told me that there was a singer who got invited to a, a nightclub to sing, you know, for an audience. And when she got there, there was only three people in the audience. And when this this woman got on stage, she was like, well, I'm here. I'm just going to I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to give it my best. And she did. And there was a record, um, an agent in the audience 
a record producer and he signed her and I can't remember if it was like Donna Summers or it was one of the big women singers of that time, you know, back in the seventies, sixties and seventies. But, um, that is a story that I grew up with. And so for it to become real for me, um, was, was pretty crazy town. <laughs> pretty crazy. <laughs> so absolutely. Jason say yes. Yeah. <laughs> and give your best. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> nice. So, more, More pro tips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm just going to call this the pro tip episode. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, this is certainly fun. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I'm having fun. It's You're making it easy, though. There's a, oh. <laughs> there's a lot of gems being dropped without any questions being asked. So. No, I talk all night about stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. What is your favorite experience out in the field? Your favorite kind of unexpected moment in the field? Oh, gosh. I mean, they're so different. They're so varied. I can tell you my astronaut story. You want the astronaut story? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, okay. Always, 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 say, always right. say yes, Colleen. <laughs> say yes and give your best, right? <laughs> touche, Ron. Touche. Yeah. So um, I went to Dinosaur uh, National Monument last year. I went to Echo Park. Uh, it was at the confluence of the Green and the Col Green and the Yumpa Rivers, where the 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 two meet and become the Green. It's I'd rafted down there. I just had never camped down down there for a while. So I went down and camped for about seven days. I had my camper, and uh, um, there was one night where I went to go. I was paying night by night because I wasn't sure with like weather and like you can't get out if it rains because it gets so slick and muddy. It's like a two hour four wheel drive, drive in or out. And so like I was like kind of watching the weather and kind of like just kind of going night by night. So we went to the kiosk to pay and there were no envelopes. And that the perfectionist in me is like, I got to pay like. I got to pay somebody for my spot. Like, and so I went to the ranger station, knock, nobody was there. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to stay, but like, I, I hope they don't come after me kind of thing. Like <laughs> this is what two years of Catholic school gets you <laughs> first and second grade. You follow the rules. So the next morning I'm at my, at the picnic table, I'm working on my memoir, I'm typing and um, a gentleman in a very, very fresh pressed uniform, clean hat, like you NPS, like very official volunteer comes up with a clipboard and he's writing some notes down. And I was like, sir, sir, you know, I'm really sorry. I tried to pay last night, but I can't, I didn't. I couldn't find any envelopes. And he was like, well, no worries. Everybody got a free night. There were no envelopes, but I'm here to tell you there are envelopes now and you have to pay for tonight. And I was like, well, I, I'll pay you for last night too. And he's like, no, everybody just got free. I'm like, okay, cool. And so he looks and he goes, are, he looks at my, my computer. He goes, are you getting, are you getting Wi-Fi here? And I'm like, oh God, no. <laughs> like, no, we're two hours from anywhere. I'm not getting anything. No, I'm just working on my memoir. He was like, well, I wrote a memoir. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, what did you write it about? And he gets kind of quiet and he puts his finger to his, his lips and he goes, I've done some things people like to talk about. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, like single female, two hours away from civilization. I'm going, oh, this guy's a serial killer. He just had a good lawyer. <laughs> like, like, oh, God. And I was like, okay, so this sounds like a good story. He's like, yeah, but in places like this, I'm, I'm just Jerry. And I'm like, okay, okay, Jerry. Like, he's like, I just don't like to talk about it when I'm here. I'm like, well, I'll look your book up. Okay. You know, like 
awesome. And we kept talking. We kept talking. It turns out that his daughter was going to the University of Michigan Business School. Like, that's where I went. I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, there's only 200. There was only 200 kids at the time in my class. So it's a really small program. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. If she needs any help, let me know. I'm a photographer, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I worked at Intel. I can help her through the transition. And so anyway, it was, I was, so how did you get this job? And he goes, well, I just got it. I just got it like a couple of days ago. And I was like, oh, you're the guy that I almost walked into the bathroom on. Oh, my God, it's you. <laughs> I felt so bad. And I did. I almost did. And so um, he goes, yeah, I just, you know, they said that they needed some help for a month. And uh, yeah, I just applied and I got it. And like the hardest thing, you know, it was no big deal. But like the hardest thing was that I had to pass a security clearance and I have better security clearance than the president. And I'm like. Okay, so not serial killer. CIA. CIA, that's exactly (laughs) it. I was like, definitely CIA. Uh Uh-huh. And so anyway, um, he went on his way. I paid my fee. I swam in the river and I actually wrote in my journal that like it was the first time I'd ever swam the confluence, which was a big deal for me and my little fear of water. Um, I actually wrote in my journal that I, I, I I guessed that the way I was floating is felt like an astronaut would feel floating in space. So really crazy. So um, now that, you know, in hindsight, and so, um, you know, one of the next days, I don't know, it was the day or two after it's Jerry's coming down this, the little dirt road with a shovel. And I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> what is he doing? And he's shoveling rocks into the potholes. And he's like, we can't have the kids spraining their ankles, you know, going to the bathroom at night. Like, and I'm like, Jerry, you're just doing an awesome job taking care of us. Like he was, he was cleaning the bathroom. He was making sure, I mean, he was just really attentive. And so it was like, okay, this is great. He's just Jerry. Like he's just He's just Jerry. And so I drive out, you know, I, my time comes to an end. I drive out and of course, what do I do? Like the second I get service is I Google this guy and he gave me his name and it was Jerry Leninger. Um, he was a, an astronaut on Mir for five months and he was there. He did write a memoir. He actually wrote two books about the experience of being in space. And I, when I was reading his book, it was really just touching the way that he described the experience of being disconnected from Earth, you know, like smelling air, like just simply smelling air, something that you and I do, you know, millions of times a day and don't even think about it. And he just, it was a really unique perspective. And so that's, I met Jerry, just Jerry, <laughs> down at Dinosaur National Monument as a, as a national park, you know, volunteer. So I thought that was, that was pretty special. So. Yeah, that's way cool. Yeah. Don't take yeah. anything for granted, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> nope. That's my most recent, I think, remarkable. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I hope maybe one day I'll write a book about all of them. Yeah. <laughs> One day. I'm glad Jerry wasn't a yeah. serial killer. Do you do you do a journal? Oh, serial sorry. killer, yeah. Thank goodness yeah. he wasn't a serial killer. Yeah, astronauts way better. <laughs> uh, I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad you didn't see him the first day with the shovel. You made right. him a little more <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least he told me he had better security clearance than the president. I felt yeah. really safe after that. <laughs> I was kind of looking around for like Secret Service and like you know like. Is he in Secret Service? What is that car doing here? Right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> is anybody following me? Like, <laughs> no, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, too funny. Huh. 
Do you keep a journal when you're out there photographing? I do. When you do your I have, trips? Yep. I have notebook after notebook. I call them my brain. Um, I have like, I, if you see my, I don't know if you can see it, but I have, I have notebook after notebook after notebook after notebook of just notes and notes and notes. Um, some end up in books, some end up doing absolutely nothing. Some of them are just thoughts, but yeah, my sequence of notebooks is called my brain. <laughs> There's all, they're all <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of us say, you know, you do this long enough, you just, you just end up having so many amazing experiences that it'd be wise for all of us to keep a journal like that. So you could pull some of those up and be able to recall them the way they happened. Cause you know, all of our memories like to, to play tricks on ourselves after years go by. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just, I think we, we are so privileged and fortunate to have the experiences that we, we do. And we all have very, very different experiences. It would, it's, it's really a great way to, to get those down and kind of, yeah, get them on paper. I think the other thing for me, writing is what Albert Einstein called effective abstention. Um, sometimes I don't feel creative when it comes to photography. Um, so my writing and my photography kind of bounce off of each other. And so like I get a lot of really interesting ideas while I'm writing for photography and vice versa. And so they, they fit very naturally together. I've actually started interjecting painting as well. Um, thanks to Jean Adams. Um, I, she started me off in watercolor painting and it was a disaster. So I'm now in acrylics, but what that's teaching me is how to see the world at a detailed level that I've never seen before. In order to paint a cliff, you have to know what the cliff looks like in remarkably ridiculously small detail. And I wasn't seeing that. And so, um, yeah, effective abstention is, is basically, or it, he also called it, there's a combinatory play where you dabble in one mental activity in order to influence another. And so I, I don't believe that creativity is, is limited to the rectangular box that camera manufacturers have given to us. I believe in a creative life and developing those raw materials for our creative output. And so I don't spend a lot of time. It's really funny. I think people think that I'm out photographing all the time and I'm not. Um, I'm actually doing a very wide variety of things, um, whether it's in a paddleboarding or painting or, you know, dancing or because I take adult ballet classes as well. You see my point shoes in the back here. So <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, I just I, I feel like it, it, it's a creative life. And and yeah, I happen to, to work in the field of photography a lot of the time, but um, there are so many different ways that we can express ourselves, writing being one of those. Even if you're just journaling, you don't have to do anything with it. Um, just being able to express yourself in a variety of different ways really develops your skills for a, for a whole lot of different experiences. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and I think, well, I don't think I know that actually doing the act of writing things down helps you remember things better too and mm -hmm. be able to recall things, you know. Absolutely. So there's a lot of value in it and benefits to it, but. Absolutely. That was another gem. I could put that last five minutes on repeat and just listen to it every day. <laughs> what are we up to now? Oh, we've got a lot. <laughs> How many? Oh, <laughs> seven or eight. Okay, we got to get sure. to ten. It's a <laughs> no, I'm just, power. I'm just kidding. That's no, no. We don't want need to achieve. Yeah, right? we're going to call this one the, just, the power hour. Right. We're going to just be the power hour. Ooh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what other kinds of tips do you have for, you know, people that might just be starting out in photography or 
Um, or maybe they're, they're feeling a little stuck. And, you know, you've talked that, about that a couple of times about, you know, getting to that point where sometimes you have to have a, you know, figure out a new direction or, you know, kind of get re-inspired. So what kind of ideas do you have for folks since we're trying to achieve that 10? Here's your chance. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for it. Yeah. So uh, let me see if I can remember. There was a there was an experiment, I think, done in the 1960s or 70s where they studied writer's block. And there were four different reasons why people had writer's block. And it's the same for all creatives, not just writing. Let me see if I can remember this. Um, negative self-talk. So self-criticism, overly harsh self-criticism, comparison to others, lack of internal motivation, believing that you don't have a story to tell and lack of external motivation and pray like looking for praise and things like that. So those are the really the four main reasons why we tend to get stuck. Um, I do a whole presentation on this called keeping it fresh. So one of um, one of the things I think as a starter is just your attitude, understanding that being stuck is part of the creative process. If you are learning and growing, you're going to get to a point where you've learned, you've mastered, you know, the skill that you have focused on and it's time to shift gears. And so if you're stuck, you probably, you're, you've, you've got one of those four things going on or, or you've mastered a skill and it's time to grow in a new and different way. So first and foremost, it's just, just because you're stuck doesn't mean you suck. It just means that you're stuck and that's okay. Um, I, you know, combinatory play is a great way to get unstuck. Go do something else creative. And if you, and I, I trust in, I do very much trust the Wallace model of creativity and it's a four step process. So it's preparation, incubation, illumination, inspiration, or third step and verification. And preparation is where we fill our brains with knowledge and ideas. Incubation is where we visualize our ideas. So we put them into our brains. We imagine them. We think, 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 and then we stop thinking. And then illumination inspiration is where we actually make the photograph. We have an aha moment. Creative experts don't know how to, they don't know how to trigger the aha moment, but they do know how to feed it. And then verification is critique. Did the idea work or not? And so when we talk about getting stuck, we're really getting stuck in that third step which is pressing the shutter, looking for photographs, forcing a photograph and whatnot. And so if you're stuck, I would encourage you to go to back to the first step, which is preparation. Fill your brain with knowledge and ideas. Go learn something new. Go learn a new craft. Go have some sort of new experience. Go look at something completely out of your wheelhouse. Go try a different you know, type of photography. I know one of my favorite things was trying wildlife photography for the first time. I, you know, I, or being in a blind. This was recently, I was in a blind. Um, <laughs> my friend came down from Oregon. She's a birder, loves bird photography. She's amazing. She put me in a blind. I shot 1400 images in an hour. I don't shoot 1400 images in a month. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. It was so much fun. But it influences how I see the world now with my own, you know, my own sort of path. And so how I how I photograph motion and whatnot. And so um, being OK with being stuck and just shifting directions, I think, is really, um, I think, an important skill, if you will, if you really want to call it that a skill to have as a photographer, because you're going to get stuck. This does not this is not on all of the time. And that's OK. And so um, when I get stuck and it happens a lot. I just go do something else. I go write. I go paddleboard. 
I go read a book. I go look at somebody, you know, somebody new, somebody had their photographs and just get an idea. That's called stealing like an artist, not steal from an artist. And it's an Austin Kleon book, Steal Like an Artist. Um, it's, it's gathering inspirational information from everywhere and trying to incorporate that into your work in that incubation stage. How could I use this to benefit me? I don't want to copy. I don't want to put my tripod holes in the same holes that everybody else did. But you know, I'm looking at, you know, paintings to see how they're using light or movies, watching how they, you know, use light, things like that. That all influences how we express ourselves in our, in our dominant, in our dominant field, like photography, landscape photography, it is for me, for example. So, um, so yeah, just go get new ideas. That's what's happened. You've, and then believe that you'll get out of it eventually. I feel like I keep writing notes down. Like you, you have all these great little tidbits and I'm like, Oh, let me go get that down real quick. And I can see around yep. doing the same thing. Like he'll, he'll lean I've got a half a oh, page awesome. scattered all over. They're in uh, random order. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. How Colleen, I, I'm feeling like you must not sleep a lot because I'm really impressed that you do a lot of reading, you do a lot of research and that's, you know, like we, we've mentioned a couple of times, it's not just about photography. Mm -hmm. It's, it's bringing all of that together. It's, yeah. it really is a, a wide variety of, of interests and um, <clears throat> backgrounds and understanding. So I'm very, very impressed with that. Why, thank how you. you do that and then how you apply it to what you're doing. Thank you. There's a reason my blog is called, you can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, part of it is just, there's just, there's so many things and, and I, you know, I, I grew up in a time where we were told we, we were going to be one thing. We were going to do one thing. You know, you were going to get a job in one career in one path and you were going to do it forever and you were going to retire and then you were going to do more one things. And it turns out that um, I don't fit that very well. <laughs> um, I am naturally curious about a gazillion things. And so I, you know, it's, it's just, it's like going down a rabbit hole. Like you start one thing and you mm -hmm. end up over here and you're like, Oh my goodness, what I had no idea about the world. And so um, a lot of it again is just, it, we talked about this earlier in the show, which is just following curiosity and learning and understanding, you know, as much as, as we can about the world in as many different ways as we can is, is really important to me and how I live my life. That's what brings me meaning. That's what brings me purpose. That's what brings me joy. And, and that's what life is about. And, and really being able to help others find that is, is really meaningful to me as well. So. And I think that's probably a phenomenal spot to probably kind of wrap <laughs> this episode. Up. Excellent. There's, there's been so many tidbits, so much, so much positivity, so much, creative talk and yet yeah with practical applications so very good do you guys have any other questions no i don't think so we've covered a lot of ground and it's it's been good so i don't want to muddy the waters with no pun intended sorry that pun intended there ron yeah good. that was great i don't want to muddy awesome. the waters with anything else <laughs> all right we'll keep shooting so keep battling. Oh, that was good yeah, there you go <laughs> Yeah. Keep paddling. Hello. You've got me thinking about, I know we have, you know, Lake Estes here in, in town has, um, they actually rent stand up paddle boards. I've been on them once. And right now I don't, I have a vehicle, I have a kayak and I love the kayak, but I have a vehicle right now that I don't have any way to transport the kayak. And you've got me thinking, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it might be time to maybe go head over to the marina and kind of 
explore new things and try new things. And... Absolutely. That, that could be the challenge from this is that we all go away trying one new thing. Yeah. Tim, Tim Lehman last year when we were doing that project here, he brought a, an inflatable paddleboard and he. That's what I have. I have two inflatables and they yeah. roll up really nice in my yeah. truck because I, I can't transport. Yeah, he either. flew them so out. Don, you might look so, into that. Yep. Yeah. That's a good idea too. I've seen them um, on the west side of the park over in Grand Lake. I see a lot of people doing it there. We have a problem with wind on this side yes. of the park, but in, over <laughs> on the west side of the park over in Grand Lake and stuff, wind is not a stand-up paddleboarder's friend. It is not. By any means. <laughs> not really a kayaker's friend either, but um, but yeah, I have seen them. You know, They just bring a little pump out mm-hmm. and they, yeah, it's all rolled up in a nice little container. And yeah, so that, that, that might be a Kind of the way to go. They have some kayaks too that are like that nowadays mm-hmm. as well. But yeah, well, let me know how it goes. So, I'd be eager to hear how it goes. Yeah, try it. <laughs> you never know, right? Say out. yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Say yes and do your best. <laughs> so why don't you tell the listeners how they can how they can reach you? Um, you know, different different places where they can see your work and and reach out to you if they have questions for you or want to learn more about what what type of workshops and other events you have coming up? Absolutely. Yeah. Sort of my hub of activity is my website. So www.colleenminnick.com. You can get, you know, you can see more of my work. You can get access to my workshops. You can see the books that I've published. Um, If you do have questions, you could always send me a note and you might be featured on Dear Bubbles. Dear Bubbles is my (laughs) advice column for photography and the creative life. And and I take I take questions from anywhere and everywhere uh, about those topics and answer them in sort of a fun and educational way. So there's a bunch of columns already out there right now. I was doing it once a week through the pandemic for a full year. So there's at least 50 some, 52 of them. And then uh, as we started coming out of the pandemic, I changed it to uh, the first Wednesday of every month. So on a monthly basis, just because I'm traveling and whatnot. So um, there's a whole bunch. I'm hoping to put a book together about it, but there's, there's all sorts of of fun questions there if you want some resources and some inspiration and encouragement for whatever challenges you're having that's a great place to start Um, but if you do have any questions um, definitely send them my way because i would love to to put those out on dear bubbles and help the community with like so that we all grow and so of course i'm on social media so i'm on facebook and instagram specifically so yeah i just i'd love to stay in touch and and see what everybody's up to so Absolutely. I can't believe you were within 45 miles of me. And well, Dawn was too. And she (laughs) didn't even tell me that was going on over there. I know. It's such a bummer. But but I did stop and say, hey. That's true. I returned returned your gear to you. Yeah, I did guilt Dawn into (laughs) unintentionally. (laughs) I I was talking about wanting to do some more underwater photography and a couple of... uh, periodicals asking for underwater material but don had my housing because she wow. was gonna she had a couple things she was trying last fall or last well it was supposed to be last spring i think yeah. but yeah i got it <laughs> well it, it's kind of the same thing we keep talking about I mean, like i'm listening to you and i'm like i mean i have you know a notes full in my you know i don't I used to do a lot of journaling as well in notebooks and, and I kept a lot of it and I switched it to my phone because I always had my oh, phone sure. with me. I felt like I didn't always have the notebook with me. And I just, I have a list of books that I want to read and I have a list of marketing ideas that I have. And I have a list of, 
photo places I want to visit. And I, I must have added six or seven at least tonight. Another book that I need to add. And I'm, I'm just listening to you. And it's just, you have so many great ideas and so much inspiration. And I'm always about inspiration when it's, you know, this isn't, this isn't an easy business, you know, on a day-to-day basis, but there's so much that is a, a, achievable and possible. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It, everybody just needs to find their own path, their own way through it. But there are so many, so many right answers with this. And there's so many opportunities. I, I feel like it's a great time to be in photography right now. Like, Oh, absolutely. It's just a really fun time. So, yeah, I'm really grateful. And I'm not giving up on that under those underwater <laughs> shots. I still want to do it. Yeah. I, just, I didn't want to be the, the cause of, of not getting some work either. So. <laughs> oh, well, next time we're in Wyoming, we'll swing by. Yeah. Say we'll hi. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Nature Photographer Podcast. Learn more about NAMPA at NAMPA.org and take a look at all the different benefits if you're not already a member. If you are a member, thank you for joining us. And I hope everybody will take a look at joining us at Summit next year. We do have our first in-person event since before the pandemic, and that is going to be in Tucson, Arizona in early May 2023. So that should be, yes, right down in Colleen's neck of the woods. That's an hour and a half away Um, from me. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to it because and the last time I was in Tucson, I think I was like one year out of college and wasn't paying any attention to anything that would have been down there. So, so I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a fun time. So thank you everybody for joining us and we will catch you on the next episode of the Nature Photographer Podcast.